Well, good morning, Life Points. So good to be with you all this morning. We get to gather together and we get to worship the Lord. Friends, that is something to be excited about. Uh, and real quick, if you're new here, you're joining us, maybe you're here in the auditorium, maybe you're watching online, you know, you're checking out LifePoint. Uh, one, I'm really glad you're joining us. My name is Pastor Adam. I would love to get to meet you. I'd love to get to talk with you, so come say hi. Uh, but if you are new, I highly encourage you to text the word welcome to the number on the screen. 406-219-0314. Uh, and you know, you follow the prompts and this isn't some fancy way to just try to snag your information and then bombard you with text messages or emails. Uh, this is actually a really good tool for you to get to know us, we get to know you, we get to start up that conversation, get to start up that relationship. Uh, and I know you hear Pastor John and myself talk about it all the time, but that's something that we wanna be doing here at LifePoint. We wanna be building relationships. Building a relationship with God, but also be building a relationship with one another. So highly encourage you to text welcome to that number. Uh, also, you guys have been hearing about it for the last little bit, but we are coming into a building project. Um, you know, a lot of times you can see it gets pretty busy here on Sunday mornings. I mean, it's busy in here, but it's also very busy in our children's ministry. Um, so we're going to be doing this building project that's going to expand the auditorium. It's going to expand uh, the children's ministry. Um, and if you're interested to see what this looks like, you can go to lifepointmt.org and click that building project tab. Uh, and you can see some plans, you get to see what it's going to look like, some 3D QR codes that you can scan and see, you know, how everything's going to look, uh, but also how you can support it, how you can give to it. Um, this project needs a lot of support, so I highly encourage you to go and check that out. Uh, but if you got your Bibles this morning, open them up to the book of James, chapter 2. Uh, today, we get to continue our series, taking a look at the book of James, and the book of James is dense. He has a lot to say in a few words. And I want to ask a question. Anyone in here, like, refuse to read the directions of something? Okay, I don't know if it's a guy thing. Because, um, like, when I open up a package that needs to be assembled, I just take those directions and just, like, shoot it out the window. Like, I don't need those. I'm a man. Um, so if you're like me, I mean, like, we could get a bike for our kids and throw away the directions and then get mad at the manufacturer for sending us stuff that doesn't fit together. Like, why would they make it like this? You know, but sometimes the instructions can be painfully obvious. I did a little research on this, but there's uh, Tesco's tiramisu dessert box has a warning on it. It says, do not turn upside down. And guess where that's written? On the bottom. Mark and Spencer's bread pudding has an instruction. It says, product will be hot after heating. It's like, no duh. <laughs> A children's cough medicine says, do not drive car after taking this medication. <laughs> it's like, I certainly hope not. Nitol sleep aid says, warning may cause drowsiness. Soup, a Superman costume for children has a, has a warning. It says, wearing of this garment does not enable one to fly. Like, poor kid who had to find that out the hard way. And a little while back, I heard a pastor talking about an article from the Feathers Journal. And it's, a, it's called the, the Chicken Gun. And what it is, so NASA decided to build a chicken gun. And it was designed to launch a dead chicken at maximum velocity directly into the windshields of airplanes, military jets, space shuttles. Um, and this idea was to test the strength and the construction of the windshield, you know, whether the materials they used, uh, the construction of it. Um, and this idea was to simulate 
frequent accidents that happen in aviation, birds hitting planes. Um, so they built this chicken gun and British engineers heard about it and they wanted to use it and test it on, on the windshield of their newest high-speed train. So they asked NASA if they could borrow it and the gun was sent. And the testing site was arranged and uh, they shot this gun. They loaded a dead chicken into it and the gun was fired and these British engineers stood in shock, in awe, and in silence. As this chicken hurled out of the barrel, smashed through the shatterproof windshield, blasted through the control console, broken engineer's bracket in two, and embedded itself in the back of the cabin. These engineers, their jaws are just on the floor. So they, they send at NASA the disastrous results of this experiment. And they were explaining you know, the design of their windshield, what they had done, the materials that they used, uh, and they asked for further suggestions. And NASA responded with one sentence. It said, next time, thaw the chicken. <laughs> Friends, following the instructions is important. Like, no matter how simple an instruction can seem, because following the instructions can change the outcome. Following the instructions changes the results. And last week, we came into the book of James, chapter 2, and, and James brought up this problem, this problem of favoritism and this problem of partiality. And James, last week, like we looked at it, he, he explains that it's nothing less than evil. He calls it what it is, to judge by the face, to not look past someone's outward appearance. And today, we're coming into like part two of last week's sermon uh, you know, last week James talked about this problem of favoritism and this problem of partiality, and today we're going to take a look at more of the solution. And that leads into the bottom line this morning. Uh, this bottom line, you're probably not going to understand it, but as we go to what James is talking about today, it will it'll make more sense. Uh, but the bottom line this morning is the royal law produces real results. So today we're coming into like part two of this thought of dealing with favoritism. And the way that we combat favoritism and partiality is actually with love and mercy. And James is going to explore some of the instructions that Christ's followers should follow and something that Jesus Christ himself commanded and instructed us to follow. So I hope by now you are in James chapter 2. We're going to be starting at verse 8. And this is what it says. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture... Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole, whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank God. Will you join me as we open up in prayer? Father, we are grateful for today, and we are grateful for your goodness, and we're grateful for the ability to gather here like this openly and freely to worship you. And Lord, I pray today as we continue this talk on favoritism and impartiality, Lord, I pray you change our hearts. I pray you change our minds. I pray you change our eyes. Lord, I pray that you allow us to see people in the way that you see people. 
Lord, let us show love. As a church, Lord, let us be known for our love for one another and our love to those around us. And Lord, I pray today as we open up your word and you allow me to speak, as you give me breath to speak, I pray that you give me the words to speak. And Lord, do not let me say anything that you do not want me to say. And Lord, we pray that your presence in our life continues to shape our lives, continues to change our lives, continues to grow our lives. Lord, I pray your presence leads our lives. And Lord, we are grateful for your mercy and your love. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this mindset of favoritism, as James would say, is sinful. Like James would say, to judge on the face, to judge based on someone's outward appearance is sinful. To judge someone based on whether or not they were rich or whether or not they were poor. And showing favoritism to either one. You know, because after all, like, it was Jesus who was born at the bottom. I mean, Jesus was born in a stall for animals, placed in a manger. And Jesus, growing up, he didn't live this cookie-cutter life, but he grew up in a carpenter's home. He, he grew up with splinters in his hands. You know, when Jesus began his ministry in Galilee, he, he began it around most people, or around, around people who most Jews would consider, like, backwoods, unimportant type of people. And on top of this, like we, we, we talked about it last week, he called blue-collar fishermen, tax collectors, to follow him. He called people who were not your stereotypical disciples of a rabbi. Yet Jesus chose to call those type of people. Jesus chose to be born like that. He chose to live like that. You see, Jesus turns many things on its head. And so as we're coming into the book of James, James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he grew up with Jesus. So he sees the problems with favoritism. And in the church, the church is composed of many different people, many different races, many different classes, many different backgrounds, many different socioeconomic statuses. But friends, like none of that matters because we are one people. We are one nation. I mean, I mean, look what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Like friends, Christians, like that is who we are. One nation, one people, God's special possession. And, and last week, I mean, we saw this scenario that James brings up, you know, with the rich man and the poor man and showing favoritism based on someone's outward appearance to, ju to judge by the face. And tragically, because a lot of the times this is the way the world acts, it can so easily creep into the church, change the way that we think. But friends, that should be backwards. Like what is inside the church should flow outside into the world. The love that we show to one another in here should not just stay within the walls of the church. The truth that we know on the pages of scripture should not just stay within our Bibles, but it should be lived out. We should show love to those around us. Friends, this is how we combat favoritism. I mean, because look, look at what James says in verse 8. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. 
So James says, like, if you keep this royal law, you are doing right. And we've seen this. James, you know, uses some plays on words throughout his, throughout his, his letter. We saw it with the law of liberty, the law of freedom. Here we see the royal law. And something interesting is the words, the royal law, is found nowhere else in scripture. But James is actually quoting what the Lord said in Leviticus 19, and also what Jesus said in Matthew 22. You see, James calls it the royal law because the king commanded it. The king instructed it. I mean, I mean, look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. It says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So love God and love people. And Jesus says, like, all of the law, all of the prophets hang on this. To love God, to love people. To love your neighbor as yourself. And friend, your neighbor does not just mean the ones you like. You know, Jesus actually broadens this definition of neighbor to anyone who God gives you an opportunity to help. I mean, we see that with the parable of the Good Samaritan. So friends, this, this royal law reflects the heart of God. And this royal law, this law that, that we see Jesus talking about in, in Matthew 22 is both vertical and horizontal. Like it is vertical in our relationship with God, but it's also horizontal in our relationship with one another. And James would say, if you keep this law, you are doing right. And on the other hand, in verse 9 of James 2, he says, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So showing favoritism is sin. This is something that, that James has been really like trying to get at. And it makes us lawbreakers. And notice here the comparison that, that James makes here with, in verses 8 and verses 9 with the, the royal law and then the sin of favoritism. Because, friends, true love doesn't avoid the law. It fulfills it. Like, like for example, this is what Jesus says. He says all of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two. Love God and love people. And, and like, for example, using the Ten Commandments as an example, the royal law will fulfill every commandment. And the sin of favoritism will directly or indirectly break everyone. Like for an example, if you truly love God, you would fulfill the first four of the Ten Commandments. You would put no other gods before him. You would not make an idol. You would not misuse the name of God. You would remember the Sabbath. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you would keep the last six. You would honor your father and mother. You would not murder. You would not commit adultery. You would not steal. You would not give false testimony. You would not covet. And on the other hand, the, the sin of favoritism will directly or indirectly break everyone. Like the first and second commandment are broken because partiality denies the will of God and places our own will above his, thus idolizing our own opinions and not God's. The third commandment is broken because, because to favor someone over another is a misrepresentation of God's name, whom you, Christian, represent. The fourth commandment is broken because to show favoritism in the church defiles worship, the fifth commandment is broken because it tells us to honor our, our parents, our mother and father. Whether rich or poor, we should honor no one, especially those who we should give our love and our care to. The sixth commandment says, do not murder. And to show favoritism can lead to the hate of someone else. And as the Apostle John would say, that's murder. 
The seventh commandment is violated as we favor the rich and powerful and doing so showing unfaithfulness to the Lord. The eighth commandment tells us, or the eighth command is broken as we steal the dignity from the poor. The ninth commandment tells us not to bear false witness and partiality implies that someone has less worth than another and friend, that's a lie. The tenth commandment is broken because favoring the rich is a form of coveting because you're valuing their possessions over and above valuing them. Friend, true love doesn't avoid the law. Like, it fulfills it. And, like, James, like, lays into this. Like, God doesn't play favorites in the church, and, and neither should we. And look at what James says next, because what James says next is going to be a gut check. Like, look what he says in verse 10. He says, Forever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So this would be like a gut check for us. Like James is saying, if you fall into any part of this, like we are transgressors of the law. And this would be a gut check to his audience that he's writing to as well. You know, in the first century, at the same time James is writing this, Many Jewish scholars believe that the law was more of a series of detached commandments. Like, for an example, to keep one law was to gain credit, and to break a law is to incur a debt. And hopefully, you know, you keep enough good laws, you know, you subtract the ones you broke, hopefully you come out in the positive. And, you know, if you, if you do enough good deeds, you can outweigh the bad ones to gain God's favor. But James views this in a completely different sense. James doesn't view this as a series of detached commandments. He more views it as like a chain, a bunch of links holding together. And to break any part of this chain means you've broken the chain, that we become transgressors of the law. I mean, look at, look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, For all who rely on the works of law are under a curse. As it is written, curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Like, notice what he says. He says, curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. And then in verse 11, he says, clearly no one relies on the law is justified before God. Why? Because we are all lawbreakers. Friend, it only takes one lie to be a liar. It only takes one murder to be a murderer. It only takes one theft to be a thief. It only takes one act of adultery to be an adulterer. And it takes one broken law to be a lawbreaker. Now, that doesn't mean we've broken every law, but we've broken that chain. Like, like for an example, let's say you are hanging on to a chain and you're dangling over a cliff. And you're hanging on this chain for dear life. Which, which link in the chain is not that important? Like, can you really be like, hey, two and seven, we could do without. <laughs> but like three and four, we need those. Like, no, you need it to be all connected or you're going to fall. And I'm not just trying to, like, bash this, but this is something that James is, like, pointing out here, that we are all lawbreakers, that we are lawbreakers deserving of judgment. And, like, the harsh reality is, like, don't let anyone fool you. Like, we're not good people. Like, this is Romans 3. But rather, we are lawbreakers deserving of God's judgment on lawlessness, because we cannot stand before a judge guilty of murder and be like, well, I've never committed adultery. You should probably just let me go. Like justice would not say to a guilty thief, 
There are a hundred other crimes you haven't committed. Like, I'll just let this one slide. Like, no, as James would say, if we've broken one law, we've broken it all. And I think James wants us to understand that, that we are lawbreakers, deserving of God's judgment. And I think James wants us to understand this, especially with the sin of favoritism. Because it is so easy to think, like, well, I haven't committed the big sins, like murder or like adultery. But if you notice here how James puts favoritism in the same company as adultery and murder. Like, friends, sin is sin. Like, any sin is just as sinful as another. Now, yes, some sins have greater consequences, but all sin makes us a transgressor of the law. And it might, it might look like James is just trying to make a big deal out of favoritism. But friends, this sin of favoritism actually indicates a deeper problem. It indicates like a heart problem. Like favoritism might just seem like a little sin, but it is a crime against God's heart. And James would say that we're all transgressors. We've all wronged God. So what do we do? Look what James says in verse 12 of James chapter 2. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. So speak and act as one who will be judged under the law that gives freedom. And I want to be clear with this. Like one day we all will stand before God and give an account of what we did. Every idle word, every action according to our hearts. Like the Apostle Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. He says, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul also says in Romans 8.1, he says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ took the penalty of our lawlessness. He paid for it with his blood on the cross. But we will still give an account of everything that we've done. And James is reminding us of this. Speak and act as ones who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. And the words here in the Greek for speak and act are, are, are present active imperatives. So, I mean, it could mean like, keep on speaking. Keep on acting in this reality. And friend, that's like a really sobering thought, is it not? But the one who submits themselves to the will of the Lord will experience the greatest amount of freedom. Submitting to the will of the Lord they will experience the greatest amount of joy. Friend, there is no greater fulfillment and no greater freedom than in saying, Lord, I will obey what it is you want me to do. So keep on speaking. Keep on acting in this reality. You know, as D.L. Moody would say, I love this quote. He says, every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. Like, like in other words, like the truth of the Bible should not just stay on its pages. Like, like, the love that we show should be lived out into the communities that we live in, into the world that we are in. Like, we should be known for the truth that we know in Scripture, for the love that we show to one another. 
And James finishes with this, these words in verse 13. He says, Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. But judgment, he also says, Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. You know, Jesus taught a parable on this in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. And I highly, highly encourage you to go read it. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. It's a parable of the unmerciful servant. And I'll just give you the cliff notes of what Jesus teaches here. But there's one servant who owed the master an outrageous amount of money. And in today's day and age, about like $20 million. An outrageous amount of money. And he couldn't pay it. So what did the master do? Well, he forgave it. That outrageous amount of money he forgave. And that same servant who was forgiven that debt went over to his other, another servant who owed him money. And he owed him about, in today's day and age, two grand. And demanded that he pay. And this other servant couldn't. So he had that other servant thrown into jail. And word of this gets back to the master, and the master calls in that wicked servant. And in other words, he's saying, like, I showed you mercy. I forgave your debt. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant? And in the master's anger, he had that wicked servant thrown into jail. Now, this parable that Jesus taught shows really the, the psychology of the soul and a really harsh reality that an unmerciful heart is a heart that hasn't received mercy. Like, like for those of us who are in Christ, like how could we not show mercy in the light of the mercy that we have been shown? In light of the debt that was cleared by Christ because we owed God a debt that we could not pay, yet it was Jesus who paid for that debt, paid for our lawlessness with his sin or with his blood on a cross. How could we ever not show mercy in light of the mercy that we ourselves have been shown? You know, Titus 3, verse 5, says he saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 2, verse 4, says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You know, I'm just realizing, just before this, this verse, it talks about our lawlessness. It talks about our wickedness. And I think the most important word here is but. Like, yes, we were sinners, but out of his great love. Out of his mercy, we are made alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. So Christian, the mercy that we show stems from the mercy that we ourselves have received. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And as we're closing, I want to invite the worship team back up here. Because James finishes with these words, mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the same for your life. It's the same for the way that you see people, how you treat others, friend, mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, this is something that we've seen throughout the book of James. 
this spiritual maturity, real faith. And real faith, genuine faith, is, is not shown just by avoiding the big no-nos, like adultery or, or murder. But friend, real faith is demonstrated in how we treat people and how we live out our faith. Like friend, don't get fooled. Like it is so easy to get fooled by simply memorizing a few Bible verses. Showing up on Sunday morning and we, you know, we speak our Christianese. Friend, real faith should go far past the walls of the church. Far past just the pages of our Bibles. But it should go out into the world that we live in. And how do we do that? Well, James already said it in verse 8. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Friend, when we, the royal law that Christ commanded produces real results. Like when you follow in the law of the king, you will see lives changed. And yours as well. So Christians, let us be known for our love. Like this is what Jesus says in, in the Gospel of John. Chapter 13, verse 35. He says, by this they will know that you are my disciples. By your love for one another. Like, that's how the world will know. So friends, let's let the world know. Will you join me as we close in prayer? Father, we are grateful for today. We are grateful for the mercy that you have shown us. And Lord, I pray when it, when it comes to how we see people, how we view people, Lord, I pray that you help us. Pray as we interact with others that we realize that mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, let us live our lives in the reality that one day we will stand before you. Lord, I pray that that sits at the front of our mind. Lord, I pray that changes how we live our lives, the love that we show to one another, the mercy that we show. Lord, I'm grateful for your goodness and your grace in all that you do. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.